Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So I just want to ask to start off, um, can you put your hand up if you have a Christmas tree up in your house yet? Okay, so quite a few people, not everybody, but quite a few people. That's, that's good. Well done. You've done well. Now, I asked the same question when I was on kids' work last week to the little kids. And I mean, like, it's not a competition, but if it was, they would win because they were so excited to put their hands up. They were jumping up off their seats and they just couldn't wait to tell me about their tree, which was already up or which was going up. So you see, to some people, putting up a Christmas tree and Christmas decorations is more important than it is to other people. And to the little kids, putting up a Christmas tree is a big deal. And to me, putting up a Christmas tree is a really, really big deal. Um, And I really like to make sure that I have my Christmas tree up on the 1st of December and decorated. It's just really important to me. I don't really know why. However, whenever my husband Mark and I were first married 14 years ago, he didn't actually know this about me and he didn't know how important it was to put a Christmas tree up uh, for me. And he actually suggested that that first year of marriage, maybe we shouldn't get a Christmas tree because we were going to Northern Ireland for Christmas. So he was thinking, well, what's the actual point? Um, However... Um, I wasn't very happy with that suggestion. And, uh, <laughs> and well, let's just say that I may or may not have screamed at him, and, which I'm not proud of. Um, but needless to say, he has never, ever disputed anything Christmas tree related ever since. <laughs> so I am not suggesting that you fall out with anybody over a Christmas tree. And I'm certainly not suggesting that screaming at someone is the right way to win an argument. However. (laughs) So um, I think, realistically speaking, Christmas decorations, Christmas trees, tinsel, turkey, Christmas jumpers, I know that they are not the real meaning of Christmas. Christmas. They are just cultural things that we happen to partake in at the same time of year that we actually celebrate the true meaning of, true meaning of Christmas, which was Jesus being born in Bethlehem. But since I am pretty much knee-deep in tinsel and buying Christmas gifts and other things, I thought that it might be appropriate to have a look at a passage which is all about the run-up to the first Christmas. Um, It's in Luke chapter 1, if you've got your Bible. Luke chapter 1, and it's when the angel Gabriel came to Mary to tell her that she was going to have a baby. Um, And then uh, after Gabriel comes to speak to Mary, Mary then goes off to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who was also experiencing a miracle of her own. So if you have your Bible with you, um, I think, yeah, If you have your Bible with you, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 32. Luke chapter 1, verses 20, no, not to 32, to 45, it'll be on the next slide, you see. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 45. Okay, so 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he said to her, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And, his king, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, and the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, so that is our passage this morning. So I have three points this morning. They are Jesus's significance, Mary's faith, and Elizabeth's experience. So first of all, let's have a look at Jesus's significance. Okay, so this is a bit awkward, you know, with this kind of being like a Christmassy preaching all and next week being the carol service. But I wonder how you feel whenever you hear another Christmas passage. Um, I wonder if you're like, yes, this is amazing. God incarnate has come to earth. Wow. I wonder if that is your reaction because I will tell you, and I'm being honest here, probably a little bit too honest, but that is not my reaction. Because I don't know about you, but I have heard these passages over and over and over and over and over again ever since I was a little girl. I'm very familiar with them. And I think that because I have heard them so many times, I've actually lost some of the mystery and the majesty of what's going on in them. But actually, to Mary and to the first hearers of Luke's gospel, they wouldn't have zoned out in the same way that I do. They would have been so excited and they would have paid attention to what was being said. If you have a look in verse 31, Gabriel tells Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. And this is a direct reference to the Old Testament prophecy to the Jews, which you find in Isaiah 7, 14, which says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. In verse 32, it says, 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And this is a direct reference to that famous Christmas passage in Isaiah 9, 6-7, which we often heard getting read out at carol services. You know the one, unto us the Son is born, unto us the Son is given. But then it goes on to say, he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and holding, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And then this never-ending kingdom that we read about in Luke 133, this was also foretold in the book of Daniel, which says that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. It shall stand forever. So you see, the first people to hear this message that Gabriel had for Mary would really have paid attention. They would have recognised that this baby was significant because he was going to be the long-awaited saviour with his long-awaited promised never-ending kingdom. You see, between the end of the Old Testament, the last book, which is the book of Malachi, and the coming of Jesus, we have about 400 years. And that's basically 400 years of pretty much radio silence from widely accepted biblical texts about these promises that God had given the Jewish people. But actually, the first hearers of this message would have really switched their brains on because they would have realized, right, okay, this baby is significant. This is the baby that was promised so long ago. And you know what? No matter how many times we have heard this message over and over and over, the fact is the coming of Jesus and his never-ending kingdom is still really significant to us. This long-awaited son of the Most High came to save us, came to give us life, and came to share his perfect, never-ending kingdom with imperfect people like you and me. And knowing that doesn't just make Christmas meaningful, it makes it life-giving and it makes it life-changing. So in any case, let's move on to our second point, which is Mary's faith. So I don't know about you, but I feel a bit sorry for Mary here because she's been given this massive message. She's going to be miraculously pregnant. And then the baby that she's pregnant with is going to be this, this long-promised saviour that was promised so long ago. And he's going to be the saviour of the whole world. And I'm sure that she was probably thinking, what the actual flip is going on here? But you see, verse 29 says that she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So you can see here that she is already starting to struggle with getting her head around what's being told to her. And after Gabriel tells her that she's going to have this miraculous baby, she doesn't just passively accept what's been told to her. She's not like, okay, Gabriel, that's fine, no problem. The first thing she does is she actually questions what's being said to her. Um, most historians think that she's probably about 13 or 14 years old at this point. So she might be young, but she knows enough to know the fact that she is a virgin. She has not slept with anyone. So she asks the big important question in verse 34. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? So my point here is that we might have big questions about God and about the plans that he has for us or about the things that he allows or the things that he doesn't allow. And Mary wasn't afraid to ask the big question to Gabriel here and we shouldn't be afraid to ask big questions of God either. In fact there is actually a whole slice of Christian academic 
thinking and uh, academic study, which is called apologetics, which is dedicated to asking the big difficult questions about God and looking at the answers. And apologetics can help us to reason out our faith and help us understand more about what we believe and why we believe it. Apologetics just comes from the Greek word apologia. It means to apologize or to defend. So it's about um, basically standing up and giving reason to what we believe in. So in any case, the thing is, you see, Christianity is not just based on a fuzzy feeling in our tummies whenever we feel good about God. God is complex, God is real, and there are often complex and deep answers to the big questions that we have about him. But in any case, let's have a look at the answer that Gabriel gave to Mary's question in verse 35. And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. And I mean, like, what? <laughs> the Holy Spirit overshadowing her to make a baby. That's what we're talking about here. And I mean, like, to me, if I was hearing that for the first time, I would think that was a bit, like, bonkers. Um, and I am just speculating here but I wouldn't be entirely surprised if Mary couldn't quite get her head around what Gabriel was telling her at this point and do you know sometimes we cannot always get our head around the answers to the big questions that we have about God maybe we can't get our head around how God created the earth or if he even exists or why he allows suffering to happen or maybe you have some other big questions about God and you're struggling to get your head around it but just because we can't get our head fully around the answers to the complex questions about the all-knowing God of the universe that does not invalidate our faith. So as I've mentioned before God is complex and the answers to the questions about him are often complex and deep and sometimes I think we have to be careful not to judge God by our own limited ability to fully understand him. So when I left school I went straight to Bible college for three years and it was an amazing opportunity to study the word of God and ask big questions about why I believe what I believe within a supportive and knowledgeable Christian environment. But I will never forget one of our lecturers telling us that sometimes some people would go to Bible college, they would be encouraged to ask these big questions about God and then they would actually lose their faith and turn their back on God. And the reason that they did that was because they would ask these questions and then the, the answers to those questions were kind of beyond their individual capability to reason out the answers and then they would give up on God. And I think that is absolutely tragic because we should not limit God by the limitations of our own intellect. So if we look at Mary's response to Gabriel, she didn't respond like I might have been tempted to. I might have been tempted to say to Gabriel, uh, Gabriel, what is the crack with this? How is this going to happen? When is this going to happen? What's going to happen to me because I am not even married? No, that is not 
how Mary responded. She actually responded in faith. Verse 38, she says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, Mary might not have fully been able to get her head around the mechanics of the promise and the science of how God would work or the practicalities of just everything that was being told to her. But her response was a response of faith and she would do what God wanted to do regardless of her understanding of the situation. And I think that's a real challenge for us when we don't understand something about God or something that he is asking us to do. Because like sometimes, like Mary, our response just needs to be a response of faith. But I have said two pretty contradictory things here, haven't I? Because on one hand, I have said apologetics and reasons and looking at the answers to the big questions about God are really important. And then on the other hand, what have I said? Well, sometimes we can't get our head around those things, so we just have to have faith. And certainly, if our faith was only built on reason, then that wouldn't make any sense. But John Wesley, the great Christian thinker, he explained it quite helpfully because he said that our faith is built on four building blocks of faith. Um, They are scripture, reason, tradition and experience. So scripture, he says, is the most important one of those things that our faith is built on. It is the divinely inspired word of God in the Bible. Nothing needs to be added to it. And it is the measure by which we can test all other truth. So that's the most important thing that we can go to whenever we're looking to looking at our faith and questions about our faith. The other one is reason, which we've already talked about in terms of apologetics and reasoning out the answers to God, uh, the questions that we have about God. The other one is tradition. Um, This one maybe isn't the most important building block of faith, but basically what that is, is we have 2,000 years of generation upon generation upon generation of Christians that have lived throughout the ages who have experienced God. And it can be helpful to us to read about or hear about their faith and how they experienced that through the ages. And then the other one is experience, which is about our personal experience of the living God. And I just want to give you a quick example of how when I was struggling with something in terms of reasoning it out, and then actually I had an experience which helped to build up my faith, even though I didn't have all the answers to the questions that I had. So you're getting all the Bible college stories this morning, so sorry about that. But when I was at Bible college, I was really having a massive uh, think really about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and whether they were for today and whether they were real or whether they were relevant or not. And I was trying to get my head around it and I was really, really struggling. I couldn't get my head around the answers. Um, But then one day I was sat outside the, the library in the Bible college in the foyer. I was talking to my friend Chris And I can't even remember what we were talking about at the time. But all of a sudden, I realized that he he was a bit distracted from what we were talking about. And he just like stopped listening to me or stopped talking or something like that. I could tell that something wasn't right. And I said to him, I was like, are you all right? What's wrong? He says, oh, nothing's wrong. It's just that Hazel's mum isn't well. And Hazel was a lady that worked at the college in the different building. And there was no reason that he would 
tell me about this or even know about this and certainly wouldn't know anything about her mum. We were both students. In any case, I thought, okay, this is a bit odd. And then we carried on with our conversation. Um, and then a few minutes later, lo and behold, who walks through the door but Hazel. And so Chris says to Hazel, he says, uh, Hazel, how's your mum doing? Is she any better? And she was really taken aback. She really, like, it was significant to her that he had asked her. And she was like, how did you even know that my mum wasn't well? So in any case, I thought that, for me, I, what, what I was experiencing was I ex was experiencing the fact that he was getting a spiritual gift, a word of knowledge, basically right in front of my very eyes. And then he was kind of sharing that word of knowledge with um, Hazel who came in. So I couldn't argue with that experience. So even though I couldn't get my head around the reasoning behind spiritual gifts, actually my experience in that moment was that I was there and I saw it for myself. So that actually built up my faith. In any case, we're going to move on to our next point, which, and our last point you'll be glad to know, which is Elizabeth's experience. So I'm totally speculating here, but maybe even though Mary's initial response to Gabriel was a response of faith, I do think that maybe she found it a little bit difficult to still get her head around everything that was going on. But Gabriel had reminded her of her cousin Elizabeth's recent miraculous experience where Elizabeth, who was getting on in years and hadn't been able to have children, she had got pregnant because God had told her husband John, no, not Zachariah, sorry. He told her husband Zachariah that he was going to have a son. So she had got pregnant even though nobody thought she was going to be able to. So Mary goes to see Elizabeth and this is a massive period of encouragement for her. So just have a look at some of the things that Elizabeth said to Mary because they are super encouraging. Verse 42, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Verse 44, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed there would be a fulfillment that was spoken to her from the Lord. You see, it would have been pretty hard for Mary to come away from this situation, this con these conversations with Elizabeth and not feel encouraged, wouldn't it? But it would also have been encouraging for Mary to go and see Elizabeth for herself, to see and to hear of the miraculous things that had gone on with Elizabeth. Because sometimes I think that even if we're struggling to get our faith and our head around everything that is going on with ourselves, sometimes it can be easier to see how God is working in somebody else. Um, so uh, I was having a think in my head, like, so I, basically what I'm trying to say is that, like Mary, it can be good to identify other Christians that we can go to for encouragement that are going to share what God is doing in their lives so that we can be encouraged. Um, so I was having to think about who my Elizabeth was. And I could actually think of several people, some of whom are here today, which is amazing. But the person who really um, jumped out in my mind is my friend, Ali. And this is the only picture that I could find of her um, and me. It's pretty ridiculous. It was in lockdown. We were in a shop and neither of us had masks. So we had to fashion some out of random bits of clothing. So there you go. That's my friend, Ali. And she is amazing because she is so good 
at recognizing what God is doing in the everyday things in her life. She will just recognize what God's doing in her marriage, in her parenting, in her work, and she'll just naturally talk about it. And she will also just naturally encourage me. And she will recognize what God is doing in my life sometimes before I even know. And she'll just share it. She's not afraid. And sometimes I think that it can be hard for us because we can feel a bit uncomfortable sharing what God is doing in our lives. Um, And I think there's a challenge here for all of us, not just to identify who the Elizabeths are in our lives, but also just a challenge for all of us to be more Elizabeth and be more open and encouraging about what God is doing in our life. Um, Because that's not only, it's not only giving glory to God for what he is doing in our life, but it is also um, an opportunity for us to maybe encourage other people. And I've been really challenged because I've been thinking about how during the week I walk with Jesus and then I come to church on a Sunday and we pray together, we worship the King, we hear from his word and sometimes, often, the Spirit will actually move among us on a Sunday morning. And then what do I do? I go and I maybe get my kids, I get a cup of tea, I might talk to some of you about the weather or about what I did last week or what I'm going to do next week, but it's not always natural for me to share what God has been doing in my life, maybe that morning, and I'm not just talking about a Sunday morning either, I'm just talking about in general, I feel really challenged to just be more open and honest about what God is doing in my life. Um, so that hopefully it could be an encouragement to somebody. And I, maybe today that might be something that you'd be challenged by as well. But as I just draw to a close, I just want to say that knowing this long-promised Jesus with his perfect kingdom, he is the one that makes it worth asking all the difficult questions about God. Um, and he is worth having faith in. And I just want to say that if you do not have not already decided to commit your faith to Jesus, to walk with him as your friend and as your brother.